everybody. It is a pleasure to be learning again. What we're going to do is we're going to try to bring our series, our idea to a full close. Let's, we've spent a little bit of time now. We spent one week looking at does the Torah prescribe or advocate for a specific system of government. That was the first time we looked at that from the perspective of Tanakh and the complexity of looking at um, say, uh, Parshas Shoftim and Sefer Shmuel Aleph. Then we spent last week looking at does the Torah have other branches of government and we examined the more complex nature of Jewish governance incorporating both the Shofet, the Melech, the Kohen and the Navi. And, and uh, we sort of looked at where, how the different branches operate in terms of education, regulation, jurisdiction and so on, judiciary. And this, this week what we're going to do is we're going to fast forward to our, our current state of affairs, which is the state of Israel, and trying to understand how all of this came to bear upon Israel. And it is complicated because just to, to reverse a little bit and appreciate the, the way it developed, um, for 400 years, the, the area of Israel was under the control of the Ottoman Empire. And so this was a Muslim, uh, a, a Muslim empire, which, uh, which actually did very well at the beginning and uh, over time deteriorated. This was from the period of 1516 to 1917, so really just 401 years was the period of the Ottoman Empire, under which the rule of the land was Muslim, and the courts of the land um, Paskin based on Sharia law. And the way it worked was that for Jews or Christians, who are people of the book, as in any Muslim country, they were ne it was necessary for them to pay a special tax as a person who's a non-Muslim, um, and they would pay this tax called the jizya. They would be offered protection by, from the sultan um, as a function of this. And generally speaking, during this period of time, the Jews, at least in the first stage of the Ottoman Empire, enjoyed great freedoms and were able to succeed great, uh, greatly. In fact, most of, not most, but a significant amount of the Jews who escaped from Spain and Portugal overflowed into the Ottoman Empire. And it, was, and it was during this period, during the 1500s, that more than 50% of Jews lived under the rule of Islam, more than in Europe at this point in time. The Ottoman Empire, at its height, was very successful. And while it was successful, the Jews enjoyed great liberties. And as it declined over the 1800s, the late 1700s down to the 1800s, as it started declining, territories were being conquered, and the, the monarchs became more punitive. That's when, of course, the Jews suffered as well. Just a good thing to be aware of is, in general, when a country is doing well, the Jews will do well. When the country is not doing well, the Jews will not do well because they're usually the first to be blamed for everything as well. And, 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 so, and, and so on, just worthwhile noting that. So as the economic and political downturn in the 1800s became more, more difficult, more complicated, but the system of law was that anybody who wanted to go to courts, there were courts, there were Sharia courts, there was the courts of the land. However, um, the, the, of course, as, as is in any other case, the Jews set up their own courts and those courts were based on Torah law. So anybody who had cases that they needed to adjudicate, and they went to a Torah, uh, court of Torah, much, much like any other diaspora community. As in America today, as in any other country, there are what's called Arkaois, um, which are the, the secular courts of the country, and then there are, there's, there's based in. Um, and, uh, and so the, the Jews are supposed to, the halach is supposed to turn to courts of Torah law before they, 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 they get a heter across to go to a, a non-Jewish court system. Unfortunately, in my experience in this, uh, in this whole business, um, it, is, it is clear to me that no Jew is going to the court of Torah law because they are revering Torah scholars and they want to be passing about Torah because when money is at stake, <laughs> then, then all, everything's out the window. The only teeth that the Torah court of law has today is a binding arbitration agreement, which is because it's enforceable in a court of law in the land. 
unfortunately, in a cynical way. I'm just pointing out that this is not, people are not looking for Torah guidance. But okay, uh, be it as it may, that's, that's the state of Jadaias Prajuri, unfortunately, and it has been um, the way it works. But that was under the Ottomans. Um, then in 1917, at the end of World War I, which perhaps was one of the causes of World War I, was the Ottoman Empire failing. So the British and the, and, and the, the French divided up the Middle East. The British got the area called the Palestine, Palestine Mandate, which, by the way, was not Israel today. It was much larger. It contained the area of what's called Jordan today as well. Moving into Syria, it was a large area. Uh, the, the, the French had the area to the north, the further north of Lebanon, and so on. Um, and so the, the, uh, under the British law, the way it worked under the British mandate from 1917 to 1948, which was essentially 21 years which the British were there, it was the, the way it worked was that they, they adopted local government institutions and adapted them to their needs. So they, they, everything that was going on, they sort of co-opted under British law. And later on, they had what's called the King's Order in Council, which was legislation which started in the 1922. And it was, so it was sort of a tiered upon the, uh, the already existing Ottoman legislation. And the way it would work was that, the, that it was the British law essentially applied to the localities as they did in all other commonwealth. So this included India, this included uh, up till very recently South Africa, Canada, all the other places that the British were ruling, this was uh, the rule of the English was there. So comes 1947 and the UN votes for a partition plan and says there can be a Jewish state and the question becomes is so what laws are going to govern this new place considering the, the backdrop of, of everything that's happened up till now. So on the one hand you say well, this is amazing, so what this could be is this is the opportunity to return like sort of clean slate to Tanakh times, where we can now have Jewish sovereignty, which has very much, uh, in a certain sense, been absent, except perhaps during the times of the Chashmonai, before that became corrupted and then overtaken by the Romans. But essentially, going back to the times of Tanakh, the problem is, as we've seen, it's not incandescently clear as to how the system of government worked in Tanakh. We, we read about the Psukim, but do we know how the taxation system worked? Do we know how the system of police force worked? It wasn't, Tanakh is not dealing, giving us those details, right? So it's, and these are basic questions that how does suffrage work? Um, how does uh, punishments, uh, extra court uh, punishments um, in the legal system work? These are questions which Tanakh does not explain um, um, exactly. And these are things which a basic country needs to, to address. So um, in, the, in the anticipation, as we move towards the, 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 the movement of, of, of a new country, which will be a Jewish country, not a Muslim nor a British uh, mandate, we try to figure out what, what's going to, what, what, how this will be governed. Some of the challenges which has existed because within the Jewish parties which exist, it's not, it, nobody's on the same page. So, uh, so the first thing which is worthwhile considering, which is a tension, and these tensions exist today as well, but just to put them into context in the 1930s, the, um, the first thing is that when the UN finally gave the mandate in, uh, in November 29th, 1947, when the votes came through in the UN, um, they voted for two states. They voted for an Arab state alongside a Jewish state. And the Jewish state they voted, they gave, so to speak, international permission for was a democratic state. Uh, so the, their, their idea was a regular doc of democracy. They were not messiaches. They did not care for or address the issue of a Jewish state. So it's worthwhile noting that from the international side of things, if that matters, from the international side of things, there was no interest in a Jewish state per se. There was interest in a, in a democratic state that was run by Jews, which is some of the tensions in the language we even hear today. That's, number, that's, that's tension number one. Number two is, 
is that the predominant majority of the people who are living, who settled, who established this, uh, this new Yeshuv were Chiloni. They were, not, uh, they were not observant Jews and they had no interest in going back to an antiquated system of law in their view, which would be Torah law. So they, 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 to them, this was a step backwards, not a step forwards. So they had no interest in saying, well, let's go back to Parshas Shoftim and say, oh, well, this is how we're going to now judge our, um, our, our constituents. And on the other hand, on the other side, a, lot, a vast majority of the religious Jews who lived, uh, lived in the land of, of the Yishuv, or the Yishuv Yashan, um, were actually not interested in the state in the first place. They didn't want a Jewish state, they didn't want a government that's going to control them and control education and control um, conscription and all the things that will affect them. So in this, with this constellation, it became very complex to map out what a Jewish state would look like based on Torah law. Right? So the religious, for, uh, to a large degree, don't care or want. The irreligious don't want religious law. And so where's the middle ground with international pressure being taken into consideration? Complicated area. So who's, what exists in the middle? You have to use all extremes. What exists in the middle? So existing in the middle was a unique camp. And this was uh, the ideological father of this camp, of course, was Rav Cook. Rav Cook set up the first organized system of rabbinate in Israel at this point in time. In 1920, he was invited to be the chief rabbi of Yerushalayim. He sets up the chief rabbinate in Israel at the time, ideologically understanding that there is going to be a state, there's going to be some form of Jewish governance, whether it's under the British or not under the British, and there needs to be a religious arm. There needs to be a religious way to talk the, uh, about the ideas of Torah to a government of sorts, whatever that government's going to look like. He was the only one who was willing to deal with the, the, we'll call it, you know, all the, the um, secular parties that were creating the governance of the Jewish settlements and, and deal, deal with them, many times having to hold the, hold the line and represent the Jewish values and say we can't cross this line, and many times embracing some of the comple- complex decisions they made and be ostracized on both sides as a function of it, um, which uh, that's what happens when you try to, to bring people together. Um, and so Rav Kook, were, but, uh, Rav Kook was, uh, was a man of broad ideas. He was, he was a person who saw centuries ahead. He was a person who, who saw broad strokes across history, very much unlike most people you speak to today who just sort of minutia and headlines and details. Rav Kook was a, bi- a, big, a big idea person. And the problem also with a big idea person is it's not so easy to translate that into how you govern a country necessarily. Rav Kook wrote about ideas, but they were deeply spiritual, deeply metaphysical, deeply, de- deeply you know, elevating, but it was harder to translate that into practicalities. Rav Kook passed away in which year? As the first chief rabbi of Israel? Year 1935. 1935 was the passing of Rav Kook. Rav Kook never lived to see the state of Israel, although he, in his mind, saw it very clearly. And if you see through his writings, was already talking the language of b- bigger perspective, volunteerism, of the idea of armies, of the, of the idea of a state, the idea of, of having something big, of speaking the land of nation, nationhood, not simply religious settlement, which is up to the diaspora language. Uh, amazing, amazing, just remarkable. We could spend our entire lives learning his works and not, not even reach, uh, reach the bottom. Um, and then, then in, enter the second chief rabbi of Israel. Who is the second chief rabbi who was voted in? Isaac Halevi Herzog. Tremendous, tremendous god. Tremendous person. Just out of interest, does anybody remember what his doctoral thesis was? He wasn't just a rabbi, he's a rabbi doctor. What was his doctoral thesis written on? So we studied this a few years ago together. He wrote it on Trelis and he investigated this. He, he debunked the suggestion of the Red Zina Rebbe 
that uh, he believed that this, uh, that the, this, the sepia, which was a, cut, a type of cuttlefish, which the Radzina believed was trellis, was incorrect, and he proved that it was actually the it was the added chemicals which add the blue color, or otherwise it would be not, it would not be soluble. And so he pointed out that this was uh, the Prussian blue was not the correct one. He th- exa- examined another options that Janantha was another uh, possibility of a, of a sea snail. He investigated the idea of the murex trunculus, and he rejected it because it produced purple. <laughs> he produced argaman, that's where we get argaman from. The reason that Rav Herzog was not aware of yet in his experimentation was, uh, this is just all a side point, was, uh, was because um, it depends how you dye the wool or how you dye the, the material. If it's exposed to sunlight during the process of dyeing, it turns treles, not argaman. Just, and that was the missing point that he was not aware of with the science at the time. But you could see his letters. He would write in French and Italian to different marine observatories and aquariums to ask for, in his thesis, it's, it's available online, you can read it and see a remarkable individual. And during the 1930s, so as he becomes the chief rabbi of, of the, essentially the Jewish settlements, it's not Israel, there's no Israel yet, um, he starts asking this question. And he says, as a chief rabbi, a chief rabbi in Israel, surely we should be addressing these issues. Surely we should be addressing what it means to have a state of Israel governed by Torah law. And he believed that there, it was possible to have a state governed by Torah law because after all, this is the only unique legal system to the Jews. So surely that should be possible. And in fact, we have his correspondence, um, and this is where we start our, our, our learning together. We have his correspondence, in fact, with the Godol Hador at the time, the, the leader of the generation, who is um, who, who, beyond argument was the Godol Hador, who was the Av based in Vilna at the time, whose name was Rav Chaim Grodzinski during the 1930s. And so Rav Herzog corresponded with him about this particular topic. And here is the answer Rav Chaim Oizeh responds to Rav Herzog in on top of page two, this is, in a, um, this is a quotation of his letter. This is in 19, uh, uh, it's Taf Reish Ches Tzadi, or Tzadi Ches, um, which is, um, I, I believe, 1938. Um, and in it, he says, um, the, the, the second line in the source is, Concerning establishing a Torah mandate or Torah system of law in this new country. It is a difficult matter, says Rav Chaim Oizer. It requires a lot of thought. It requires a lot of um, uh, careful consideration. Maybe when it's law which governs Jew to Jew, it should be based on basic Torah law. Maybe there needs to be another system of, of law for Jew versus non-Jew, right? Because they won't necessarily subscribe to Torah law. And guess what? There are going to be other non-Jews who live in the, in the state. And Rav Chaim Moiser was clearly aware of this, of this fact, and is still the fact today. Israel is not a Jew, fully Jewish state. It has many minorities who are not Jewish. He says, <laughs> And regarding basic theft and theft law and, and punishment, he also suggests, 
לבד, הבייס הדנים על פי דעת תורה, כי באמת כושר דבר לתקנות המדינה, שהגנב יפתור את עצמו בכיף ולמועד בקנס, שיהיה פוטר לגמרי. He says that there, there are certain problems in the Jewish legal system, not problems as in ideological problems, but practical problems. The Torah has certain laws which would make a country not governable. I'll give you a classic example that the, uh, the Torah tells us, as the Gemara learns out, and if you go through any of those sugyas and, um, that are found in Bab Metziah, in Bab Akam, Moedah B'Knas, the person, a part of B'Knas, so a person who has a penalty levied against them for whatever they did. So what's an example of a penalty? There's many things. If a person steals, they have to pay back double, as an example. Right? Today, speeding tickets, you could argue, are knas, right? It's not because you, because you necessarily did something, you know, you, you, you took lives, God forbid, but going over the speed limit is a knas. You're not going to do it again, right? So in the Torah system, if you admit to the, to, to the offense, you weigh, you, the, the, the knas gets waived. So Rechaim Oezer says, that's not going to work. On a day-to-day basis, right? Everybody's going to walk in, I'm guilty. <laughs> yeah, you know, and then and sign it off. So that won't work. People, people will be speeding, people doing all kinds. Of, they'll be stealing and then returning. There's no consequence for their actions because they'll utilize the Torah system, the pure system in theory, and in a practical level, will be more complicated. So he said, therefore, we should implement a side-by-side, a two-track system of law. And where, did, where does he say is the precedent for this? It says, Rav Chaim Oizer. The run, Rabbeinu Nisim. We just looked at Rabbeinu last week, where we saw that Rabbeinu says there must be two tracks of government. There must be the, what's called Mishpat HaMelech, and there has to be the Beistin. Beistin's job is not to govern society, but to adjudicate Din Emes Lamiyotai, what Akash Baruch Hu wants human beings to govern, to, 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 to have pure law. However, that's going to have trouble when it comes to certain, certain aspects of society. So to catch the, the, the gaps, there's a king. And the king will adopt a certain law, which will be a universal law, which will, which will apply itself and therefore keep society in check. So he's suggesting maybe having two tracks of government because of, number one, some of the loopholes that people will abuse. And number two is because of the non-Jewish constituents of such a country. That's, that's his observation. Yes. Wasn't Rukhaimos are just following the Golos system of phased in monomonas? I, I don't think so. I think Rav Chaim Oze is, is also, again, looking at a bigger and bigger picture, and he's saying the reality is, as much as you'd love it to be a system which works in theory and is only Jewish, that's not the reality of what the system is. And, he, and he's right. Israel, at this time and now, is still such. I think that's what he's saying. I don't, I don't, I don't think at all he's translating God. I think he's, he's saying, means to say, this is a very big question. And he's right. It's a very big question. And he suggests because of it, there's complexity. And therefore, there's complexity. There's two tracks. Rav Herzog received this response to his questions. And Rav Herzog struggled with this. Take a look at the writings in his Sefer. And we're going to spend a little more time dealing with a Sefer called Techukali Yisrael Al Torah. This is the law. This is written by um, Rav Yitzhak Isaac Halevi Herzog. This is where he writes most of the corpus of this material is to be found in the, in the Sefer. And he responds, not responds, but his, his response, we hear how he responds to Rav Chaim Oizer um, in Source 3, is um, we're going to start, actually, um, he, he, he brings the first half of the page and he talks about the run being quoted. And he says, if this is Rav Nisim of Jerona, who's one of the great Rishonim, he says, I, I, I respect him greatly. However, he says... Um, we're going to start from the, the, the line where it says HaTalmud is the first one on the line. We're in the middle of the line. It says, Kabbalah Accepting such a notion that you could have two tracks of law would make things much easier for us, he says. I have a lot of difficulties in amalgamating such an approach in a practical way. After the, what's peel? Peel conversion. 
the Peel Commission. That was when the, the Arabs were rioting against the influx of Jews. So the British set up the Peel Commission under Lord Peel, who, who, who did an analysis of the lay of the land, and it led to a very restricting uh, um, a paper called the White Paper, which restricted access of Jews entering. It's worthwhile reading the Peel Commission. You can read the report. Um, but the, the Jews were not allowed to enter from Europe. So in the 1930s, as the Jews most desperately needed a, a haven, the British closed the doors of, of Palestine to be a place for seven. Millions of Jews could have been saved, but were, as a function, they were not. He says, and he says, I dealt with some of the difficulties of what do we have as non-Jews who are in the country and uh, taking positions of power. Because the Torah tells us that in a, it can only be Jews who take uh, uh, um, uh, offices of power in a Jewish state. And the Rabbi Chaim Ozer quoted Rabbi Nisim as a possibility of a two-track government. He says, I, I, I can't swallow that. A Torah system has to be diluted to have, own, to have a Torah system and a Torah plus system. He says, it, does, it, it didn't make sense to me. And I never received a response to this. So the, the trail went cold in this. Now, by the way, it is 1938. Just to appreciate things, it's complicated. Rav is about to pass away at this point in time. Um, it's the, the looming of Germany and the World War II is about to happen. So it's a complicated time. It may not have been an ideological uh, fact that this correspondence did not continue. And therefore I remain in, I, I hold my, my, uh, my position strong, which is what? It cannot be that you have two parallel systems. It's not acceptable to me to have two systems of government. The Torah is sufficient by itself to have a system of government. If that's the case, a number of challenges exist for for, for Rav Herzog, so that what he has to deal with, the challenges that he has to um, navigate are, are the following. He has to deal with the rights of minorities. That's what Rav Chaim was talking about. Not everybody in this new state is going to be Jewish. Right today, we have, we, uh, and it's, uh, to a large degree, we're very proud of the fact that there are, there are Christians and Muslims, there are Jews, many are minorities who live in the state of Israel. He says, what are the rights? How do you relate to that? The Torah has a system called Ger Toshav, and we have to appreciate what does that look like, La so that's one, the one area in halacha that he needed to map out. Another area in halacha is women's role in terms of suffrage, in terms of witness and judge, right? In the Torah system, it's very limited. How does that look in a cosmopolitan democratic society? Another question that he had to address in halacha. Number three, the eligibility of non-religious Jews to serve as, as court justices. Because the vast majority of Jews who are part of the system of government are, are not religious. And that being the case still to today. And that means to say, how are they going to act in a system of government or in a system of uh, or in a, in a seat of power as a judge for a system which they themselves are not adherent to fully? That's another question that he had to that, that he had to address, and not, uh, he also had to address issues of new laws. What about where the Torah does not govern a specific issue, right? So how do you deal with the complexities of conscription, right? As an example, now Torah has 
um, laws about this in Parshas Kisaitse. But it's not, it, it has, there's some broad strokes. How do you deal with some of the specifics? What age or conscription? You go back to Parshas Bamidbar, is it Shanavamala? So what does that look like in a country which is struggling to survive? Do you make amendments, a certain sense, to, to, to Torah law, additions to Torah law as well? And finally, also punishment. You need to have certain, certain punishments based on the evolving system. So let's say, you know, when, we, when you get cyber security threats, how do you deal with, uh, with people who, uh, who are infringing in that area? The Torah doesn't deal with that, right, explicitly. We have models, but it's not so easy. So, how do you, so these are all the issues that he needed to address, and he started addressing them. So, in fact, and just, to, just as a quotation of Rav, of, of Rav Herzog, by the way, you just... Most of us haven't even heard Rav Herzog or spent time hearing. Just appreciate what, what went into this. this where we are today did not just happen. His, his quotation is, is the following. He says, Amatara Ikaris. I'm not going to, this is not in our sources, but just a quotation of Rav Herzog. He says, um, my, my main goal, Shelly, to show it is possible to create a system of law for an Israeli government. And to prepare for it, mishtar mishpati, to have a, 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 a police force to enforce it. prat I believe, he says, it's possible to set up a system of law, an enforceable system of law, which does not contradict the Jewish law, the system of law of Torah. It is worth it, says Rav Herzog, to invest all efforts to try to arrive at such a, such a solution. Remarkable. Remarkable. No one else is talking about this at the time. Who, who, he, he is, the, the, what he had to invest to address these issues, and he wrote about this. This sefer called Tuchukah, the, uh, the Tuchukah was mapping out each of the issues one by one. What ended up happening? So, the, un, unfortunately, um, life did not give us a chance to really have the, the breathing space to deal with this. So if you go onto the Government of Israel's website, and you read their page called the History of Law and Judgment. This is on page three to page four. It's worthwhile reading this, and just you should be proud as a Jew to read the introduction, where it describes the tradition of the law and judgment is rooted in the people of Israel from its very beginning. Already in the desert, judges were appointed by the people. The judgment was perfected by the son in the Sanhedrin. This is by the way on the Israeli government page. It's just a beautiful thing to read. He says, after the expulsion into exile, the Jewish community in the diaspora adhered to the law and established autonomous judicial systems. Since the state of Israel established the Knesset, gradually enacted in, um, enacted a set of basic laws, and when completed, will form the constitution of the state of Israel. So, meaning, the, the, the way it's described is that we've always viewed law and order as, as important throughout the course of history, coming to the state of Israel. What ended up actually happening? So if you fast forward, you flip to the, to the top of page four, as much as there was ideolo- idealistic um, um, aspirations, we weren't given the space from the time that we had a country to be able to a- actually do this. Why? Because, uh, note, note on top of page, the left-hand column on top of page four, the state of Israel was established on the 6th of ER, 1948, really the 5th of ER, going into Shabbos, actually, it was Friday afternoon. By virtue of the Declaration of Independence on Saturday evening, the 5th of ER, immediately upon its establishment, Arab countries had declared war on the new state, and the armies invaded its territory. Due to the preoccupation with the protection of its very existence and its freedom, the state did not, did not have a ready-made legal system at its disposal nor a consolidated constitutional structure for the government. There wasn't time to set this up. We were being killed. We were being pushed into the sea by six Arab armies. 
The state of Israel was founded at the end of a 30-year British mandate over the land of Israel um, after hundreds of years in the, of the Ottoman rule. In order to prevent its vo- void, it was determined that the law that is, uh, existed in the, state of I- uh, in, the, in the land of Israel on the eve of the establishment of the state will remain in force to the extent that it does not contradict the laws of the state and the changes resulting from the establishment of the state and its authorities. So we kind of just carry on sort of like bumping along the road using the law system we've had up till now, which is predominantly British mandate, as long as there's a contradicting of value in the Declaration of Independence of Israel. This law includes a, list, a mosaic of laws, which included, among others, Ottoman laws that were absorbed into the laws of the British mandate and remained in force at the times of the establishment of the state, religious laws, laws of the British mandate, and British laws, including the principle of common law and the foundations of law of, the, of equity and pra- as practiced in England. A written constitution was not available to the state when it was established. They didn't have time to write a constitution. The Declaration of Independence stated the state of Israel will be open for Jewish immigration and for the ingathering of exiles. It will be based on freedom, uh, freedom, justice, and peace as envisioned by the prophets of Israel. It will ensure complete equality of social and political rights of all its inhabitants, irrespective of religion, race, or sex. It will guarantee freedom of religion, conscience, language, education, and culture. I would highly advise we actually have a copy of the Declaration of Independence of Israel in our library on the second floor. If you go up the steps in our library to the left, we have the beautiful, I believe, Amanoff's dedicated to our shul, hanging on the wall is, is the Declaration of Independence with a d- description of its signatures. It's worthwhile reading through and learning. I apologize I didn't bring it to our sources today. The Supreme Court ruled that these statements are the vision of the people and its credo. Right? So you can't call the Declaration of Independence a constitution. It's a separate thing, but it's a credo. It's, it's sort of like the idea of where we're trying to go. The Declaration, although it does not have the force of a binding law, established the democratic nature of the state of Israel as a country which is the pursuit of freedom. It also inscribed on the flag of the state from the beginning of the, gar- the guarantee of basic rights as the basic foundation of its methods of law. And then what happened was that over the process of time, Israel enacted what is called basic laws. So to add so what that means to say is moving away from what we'll call the camel. You know, a camel is really a horse created by a committee, right? So Israel really was a camel in law, right? It was a little bit of Ottoman, a little bit of British, a little bit of uh, Torah law, and that all kind of just carried on. You know, we put it all together, tied a rope around it, and carried on going, because that was all we could do. That's what, that's what it's essentially saying. The word they use here is mosaic, right? That's a, that's a way of saying a complex reality of law, which was sort of carrying on going. And so, uh, and so this is what happened until they established basic laws, including those basic laws are what? What, what? what aspects of Israel were formed through the basic laws? These are essentially amendments, right? What were they? So, so in, in, in included in these are the fact that there is the, the president of the state, the Knesset, the government, the judiciary, the comptroller of the state, the, and, and the army. These are examples of basic laws which were enacted, and it took a long time because you needed a vast majority of Knesset to pass each of these laws. And it t- often took a number of Knessets or sittings of Knesset in order to pass a basic law, which slowly but surely builds up what the state of Israel is and with the hope and the aspiration to create a constitution which has yet to come. Okay, just worthwhile re- I'm reading for those who are interested, those who are interested in finding out more about what's going on today in the terms of the judicial reform. Um, uh, first of all, join us on May 5th where we will be, as uh, Hashem, welcoming the head of the judicial committee, the member of Knesset, Simcha Rathman will be joining us in our shul on Monday evening, the 5th of, Ju- uh, of June, to present on this topic. I think it would be very important for us to hear from the person who actually wrote the judicial reform to, to appreciate what's, what's happening, so please join us then. Uh, but in a response to, 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 to what's going on and the, the complexity which you read in the paper every day about, there's a, there's a paper which is, which is written by, um, by, a, by ne- Professor Neta Barak Koren, 
from the, um, the Hebrew University, and she wrote the, about the Levine Rothman plan for altering the state of justice system. She lays it out. Again, everybody, everybody has a bias when it comes to these things, but in appreciating this, she points out in Source 5, the Israeli government consists of three branches, the Knesset, 120-member um, I, uh, I apologize, I, I'm not so good at these long words. Unicameral, uh, a national legislature that concentrates the entire legislative power in the state. Number two, the cabinet or government, which is the Memshalai, including the prime minister, currently a 36-member executive that oversees the ministries and additional administrative agencies. And the new judiciary, whose backbone consists of three-level magistrates court, districts court, and a 50-member Supreme Court of Israel, which serves, this is the complicated part, which serves both as the Court of Final Appeal and the Court of First and Last Review of Constitutional Petitions. That's the complex piece. Um, sitting as the High Court of Justice, HCJ, the labor courts, religious courts, and military courts operate independently but can be subject to a final review by the Supreme Court. The President of the Supreme Court heads the judiciary. And so, anyway, there is no constitution to hold this all together, unlike America. So when the Supreme Court of America is dealing with a, a complex case, you know, when it deals with, you know, the re, the, 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 when the abortion came up again just last year, so the Supreme Court is going back to the language of the framers in the Constitution to understand what did the framers of this country want? There wasn't that in Israel, right? So Israel never had a chance to make a constitution that had basic laws. So we have the credo, but it's really up to a lot of interpretation as to what it will look like. And because in a certain sense, Torah was ignored to a large degree, then they're, they're, that's what the complexity of today's, today's landscape is. What ended up happening? What ended up happening was um, the, the, that, uh, that Rav Herzog um, put together a council under the chief rabbinate in 1948, and included in his council were Rav Tzvi Pesach Frank, Rav Unterman, um, Rav Katz, the Basin, or the, 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 chief, the, the rabbinate of Haifa, all got together and they tried to sort of map out what the constitution should look like and he started addressing these issues and he fever, feverishly wrote chapters of this book called this book about the, the, the religious state of, of, of affairs and the law in Israel and he sent it to many poskim. He sent it to many poskim around the world. He sent it to Rav Levinson in New York and, to, and different chapters for review and, um, and he presented in 1949 in the World Zionist Congress which was held in Israel for the first time, essentially, one the, as 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 the country, and unfortunately, just to, to quote his here the way that he uh, describes its reception at the World Zionist Congress. Because again, I did not put this in the sources, but just to hear his words in Hebrew, and it's it's disappointing. He says the following: He says, "B'shetach amishpat regarding law." So his presentation at the World Zionist Congress was regarding Israeli law. That was the, the, he'd he'd written this book. It wasn't fully published yet, and because he hadn't had a chance even to iron out some of the wrinkles. But he he has he has an idea, and his goal was what, trying to map out the complexity of Jewish law as it applies to a modern state. That was his goal. So he says regarding judgment, What's haznacha? Complete abandonment. People ignored me. There wasn't even an attempt to adopt Jewish law as the law of the land. Something which could have really developed into, into an incredible force, an exemplary force in the world. And the Jewish Bate Dinim, the, 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 so to speak, the Frum, the right wing, ignored this call, right? So both the left and the right ignored, ignored my petition. He says, it is incredibly disappointing 
that, uh, that, that those who are chiloni don't want to deal with the Torah, and those who deal with the Torah don't want to deal with, with, with the state. And that's, that's where he found himself. So he wrote all this, and he published this, and he begged, and he felt that it was the Rabbanat HaRashid's responsibility to create the synergy of a Torah-governed state. There's an opportunity for the one Jewish state in the world to operate based on its own proud law. After all, we have a system of law. It just needs to be ad- adapted to the system, not changed, adapted and applied to the complexity of a modern state. And he felt that he was speaking to the wall. He made these suggestions, and ultimately, whether it was because of, for practical reasons or ideological reasons, his, his petition was largely ignored, unfortunately. It is worthwhile reading his Sefer, Tchuka. It is available. You can read it and, and to see the suggestions he makes for trying to create a modern state. Um, ultimately, uh, ultimately, it was not adopted, which leads us to the next question, um, which is the question of, uh, of, so how do you relate to, we'll call it Plan B? When in a disappointing way, you have a state of Israel not governed by Torah law, but governed by um, a hodgepodge of laws, you know, like that, that were kind of like, you know, developed over time, you know, basic laws, which is what the state of Israel is today, essentially. So how do, you, so how do we relate to that? So that became the next question of, of, of standards. So it's worthwhile just reading the, the writings of Rav Cook on this. Rav Cook already could see this going on. And in the first source, I skipped this over, Rav, Co- Rav Cook wrote in his writings in Mishpat Kohen, which was his response. Rav Cook wrote <laughs> about everything. Mishpat Kohen was his response, his halachic response. In the middle of a very long teshuva, not on this topic, he says in source one, he says, he says the following, the end of the first line, he says, at a time when there is no king, there's no one authority, back to page one, source one, since the law is the responsibility of the nation, if the king is absent, then where do the rights or responsibilities of rule go? Back to the people. This is very, this is just, you know, to say this, again, he hasn't even seen the state. It's amazing to see this, to say to hear this. And therefore, the king becomes the democratic process, right? So, therefore, the way our cook looked at it, and in a, in a very, uh, you know, sort of fore, foresight that he had to understand that it wasn't going to be so simple as Rav Herzog was, was suggesting to create a Torah-governed society, when you have a democratic society which elects certain laws, then those laws become the system of governance in the place of the king, which you have to respect. But this became a halachic question. What is, the, what is the term, the phraseology, which everybody is going to debate as it applies to Israel? What is the general question that we ask in every country that we go as to abiding by its laws? And that is the halacha, which we call dinner de malchusa dinner. So you just say to yourself, okay. So Israel did not work out as ideologically hoped for. Right? We didn't get, it was not, it did not become a Torah law state. Okay. Which some people, by the way, were very scared of. The Chilonim still today are very concerned about what they call theocracy in a negative word. Theocracy isn't a negative word by itself, but today, when it's applied to places like Iran, as an example, becomes an intolerant religious governed society. So let's, uh, so, so uh, that it, it's not. So it's democracy to, to a large degree with a, we'll call it a Jewish flavored democracy. Right? It's got the mit batam yahadut. Right? So, so how do you deal with that? So at a first blush, you should say, well, this should be no different to living in Poland. It should be no different to living in a country where there are rules, living in America, and there's a government. You may not like, subscribe, or relate to that government, but you have to listen to the laws. 
So you surely we should apply what's called dinah de malchus or dinah. And then the question is, how extensive is that requirement in a Torah law perspective to adopt the laws of the country around us? That's that's the question that's that, that's at hand. So you should say what should be a, an obvious an obvious step. If if in Poland and in America we have to listen to the law of the land, and certainly in the land of Israel we should be able to. Interestingly enough, it is still a matter of debate. On what grounds? So this is a truva written by the Yaskil Abdi, who was a, a, um, a, one of the, uh, the Dayanim in the, the court of Yerushalayim, born in Aleppo, Ravavadya Hadaya, who was, a, who, who was uh, born in Aleppo, moved to Yerushalayim, became one of the, one, one of the Dayanim in the court of Yerushalayim. And he, and he, uh, he was asked the following question, and this is in Chelek uh, Vov of Choshen Mishpat in, in his Chuvas Yaskil Avdi. And he is, this is his question. He asks two questions. Number one is in source six, bottom page five. We'll look at the question. Halachically speaking, do we need to follow the law of the land? Right, so we're now in plan B. We've left Rav Herzog's idea, but now we have this law. What do we do with this law? So he says, question number one, he says, It divides itself into two, two separate questions. Number one, Is it in fact true that we have to listen to the system of government of law in America and therefore should be synonymous with listening to the system of law in Israel? Is it the same or is there any difference? That's question number one. And question number two, he says, Or do you say this is only applicable when there's actually one, when there's a king, or, whether, or, or, or if there's an absence, uh, absence of a king. So he, quite, he goes through it's an extensive truth, and it's, it's far from me to, to summarize it as if, as if it's simple. It's, it's made up of three pages worth of, uh, of analytics. It's very complicated. But just to point out that he, he does entertain the, the fact that there is the Arpaiskim, the the Tosos and the Ran, who say that dinner Machus dinner would not apply in a Jewish governed area in Israel. Why? Because one of the basic tenets of the dinner Machus dinner is, is the following: is that the ruler you have to abide by the ruler because the ruler has the right to uh, remove your citizenship in the country that you live in. So you living in Warsaw in the 1700s have to abide by the government's law because otherwise. You could be rejected, right? And you could be uh, ejected from the country, lose your citizenship, and, and uh, therefore based on that, that's the, so to speak, the, 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 the mechanics behind the dinner de Malchus dinner. It's not ideological, it's more practical in that respect, right? Um, he says, well, that doesn't exist in Israel. Because he says the halacha is that every Jew has a chalek, has a natural chalek in the, la- in the land of Israel, which means to say that the ruler does not have the right to remove your citizenship. Therefore, because of your closeness to the land of Israel, you may, in fact, lose the possibility of dinner debalchus or dinner in it. That's the Tosis and the, and the Ran. He points out that the Shulchan Aruch disagrees with that. The Shulchan Aruch says that, of course, dinner debalchus or dinner applies in a Jewish government in, an, in, in, in such an area. And that's what he says in the bottom of page 6. Asa'an ikar adin, hinea davar barur, she'ein lanu ela, das ha, I think it's she'anishachim acharav, hatur v'ashulchan aruch, simen shin samach alef in en, um, and I'm not sure which which chalik is in. The, the, he says the pirshud bepshitus she'en chiluk ben malchi Yisrael malchi umas the shneim shavim b'shiurehem the daninon b'hu dinu demachus the dinu adloi kediri atoyses ha'ran. He says against the toyses and the ran the shulchan aruch paskins that there is dinu demachus the dinu you have to follow the law of the land of Jewish rulers even if it's not Jewish law. And um, uh, as is talked about, and he points out this interesting obso- uh, observation in Aruch at the end, where he says that if you have a machloekas in the Rishonim between a poisek 
and a mefaresh of the Gemara, you always follow the Poisek, not the mefaresh. Okay, just interesting observation. Um, and in the second question, he points out, uh, based on the Tshuva Zeresh on the top, top of page 7, that it, we don't need a king, like Rav Kook said, is when there's no king, the power is divested to the people, and therefore a democratically elected person, or any of their, or any of their uh, uh, emissaries, meaning any of the departments or agencies, has the law of Adin to the and you need to follow it. It's worthwhile noting that there were those who disagreed with Rav, Rav Hadaya, uh, the Yaskil Avdi. As an example, in Source 7, at the very bottom of you, on the last paragraph, this is the last paragraph we're going to learn together, um, the, we, we have the observation which is made in a book called Dinah Dabachos Adinah by, by uh, Shmuel Shiloh, very comprehensive treatment of the subject, where he says, this is on page 83, in the, in the book, Rashi. So Rav Jolti appreciated the idea of the idea of based on the understanding of Rashi, which he explains is Ulam Yisrael. He says that in fact, um, he says it does not apply. Dinabachus does not apply to Jew versus Jew or in a Jewish country governed by Jews. What is the, the source of Dinah He says it's based on the fact that the, the Aloha is one of the seven mitzvahs of universal mitzvahs which govern all of humanity is you need to set up courts of law. As a function of that, Therefore, you need to listen to, listen to the court of law established by those, the, those countries as a function of the fact that they have the responsibility to do so, right? He says, however, One of the seven mitzvahs of the Jews is not to establish the system of courts, like a universal system of courts. Like non-Jews are. The Jews are not set up to, uh, are supposed to set up universal courts of law. They're set up, supposed to set up Jewish courts of law. He says, therefore, Well, his observation is, is is a uniquely diaspora experience where you're in the B'nai Noach, in the Gentile existence, and in the Gentile existence, you have to abide by their laws. And therefore, because it's a mitzvah for them to set up their such courts, you have to listen to them. But in, the, in Israel, there is no such thing because it's not a Gentile state. The respond, it's a Jewish state, and if it's a Jewish state, we already have a system of law. We don't need our ka'os. We don't need systems of courts of law um, outside of that, and therefore there is no basis for listening in that respect. Remarkable. Therefore, in a certain sense, we have to really turn to the religious side of the vate dinim in Israel rather than the law, which creates complexity. And this sort of paints the landscape of where we stand today. The complexity of Israel. Israel is a very complex place. There's no immediate solutions. There's no one-size-fits-all solutions in the land of Israel in anything. Remember, I was driving along the, the Route 443. It's one of these roads from Yerushalayim. And the tour guide was explaining, you know, how complex it was to arrange because Arabs and, uh, and Jews would be driving on the same road, then there'd be terrorist attacks. But to, to make construction in international law was so complex that they'd make underpasses in such a way that in this area wasn't against international law. It, it's so com- everything is complex. Everything is complex because it, uh, this, this, when it's real and when, it's, when, it, when, when the issues really matter, it's complex. And similarly as well. Today, does you today. Does anyone disagree with that last statement? Yes, sir. You ask Because there is a Gemara Sanhedrin that says. Less midi. less midi, yes, good. Less on a midi. Daf nun vav, good. 
Good. Yes. That's what I remember. So Very good. Basically, at some level, we have, by extension, what yeah, no, so we, we do, but, but Moshe, Moshe, you know what Rajolti is saying? Just a brilliant observation. Rajolti is saying like this. Leis la midi is a, is a law that there's nothing that a non-Jew is commanded right. which we don't have. Right. But what Rajolti is saying is, we have more. We have, right. Meaning he's saying, we got a whole system. It's called the 613. It was wrapped up in five books. We have it. Right. We have the whole system. So why, why is there a responsibility to go and listen to the outside system to be imposed on us by a British or Ottoman that, didn't, that wasn't that part of the deal. Right. So it still incorporates Leislamidi. So today we live in a complex reality. We live in a reality where, and, and this sort of paints the scene for where we are today without the, going into the complexity of judicial reform. But understanding why you have a predominantly religious, irreligious society which has set up systems of law, created basic laws. The, the system generally works in also sort of in the shadow of international law, sometimes superimposing or overstretching its, law, uh, it, its reach with the UN, which is not a system of law. Uh, making uh, and making all kinds of anti-Semitic attacks on Israel. Last year there were 25 criticisms against countries, 13 of which were against Israel, 12 against the rest of the world. While there was a war in Ukraine, while China, uh, anyway. So and understanding what's going on, what well, happens. At the same time, you have you have one system over here which is, which is more complicated because unfortunately in the Haredi system, um, which makes up 20 something percent of Israel society and growing, Baruch Hashem, um, and the Arab the Arab minority in Israel, which is also 20 something percent. Of the of the population of Israel also growing at a rapid rate, you you have two those two minorities or two subsets of Israeli society which don't actually subscribe to the idea of a shared um, uh, a shared contract or society, where they don't believe in the system that they're in. Okay, so much like treating like the Jews would treat Poland in the 1700s or the 1800s as a place to get by under not be affected too much by and get as much money from the government as possible while that's happening. So we are, we're living where essentially to moving towards 50% of the state is living in a place which ideologically does not relate to the government itself, does not view the government as necessary. And is sort of living in the world where this whole thing is, is, not, is not real, where you have a lot of irreligious Jews who are governing and saying, this is all we have. And there's religious Zionists who are saying, well, let's try to reform it within the Torah as much as possible. The, and the Rabbi Dota Rashid trying to hold that all together as well. Very, very complicated system with many problems, but also at the same time, to its credit, many accomplishments as well, uh, which is what we see in the, sta in the state of Israel. And a little bit of this is the backdrop of the complexity of how we got here. And some of the, the, the attempts that were arrived to arrive here, some of the rejections of those attempts, all for noble reasons, if you think about it. All the concerns on all sides, being too, too religious on the one side, being, being, being too irreligious on the other side, all very complicated issues, which leads us to the state of affairs today. I would like to invite everybody to, to, to join us on June 5th to hear a little more about today's issues and where it comes to the, play, the place of the High Court, its election process, the judicial reform. It's very important to understand this, but at least we spend a little time learning some of the sources. Again, only three hours, but at least suffice to say enough to start, the, to start this process of uh, learning. Thank you so much, everybody, for taking the time. Have a good